Welcome to The New Talent Code, a podcast with practical insights dedicated to empowering change agents in HR to push the envelope in their talent functions. We're your hosts. I'm Lihia Zamora. And I'm Jason Serrato. We're bringing you the best thought leaders in the talent space to share stories about how they are designing the workforce of the future, transforming processes, rethinking old constructs, and leveraging cutting-edge technology to solve today's pressing talent issues. It's what we call the new talent code. So if you're looking for practical, actionable advice to get your workforce future ready, you've come to the right place. Welcome to the New Talent Code. It's been a minute, we know, but we're excited to be back. Jason and I had to take a brief hiatus, you know, with all the industry events that happen in the fall, traveling across the world, HR Tech, Unleash Paris, Gartner, you name it. (laughs) We were there and boy, were we tired. Yeah, it's super great to be back. I've missed these conversations. We've actually just wrapped up an interview with our with our next guest, Commissioner Keith Sonderling from the EEOC, and it was another great conversation. You know, the EEOC is the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, a federal agency established via the Civil Rights Act of 1964 to administer and enforce civil rights laws against the workplace discrimination. Super important stuff. Definitely has a lot of passion. What a great discussion we had. You know, one of Commissioner Sonderling's highest priorities is ensuring that AI and other workplace technologies are designed and deployed uh, to comply with these civil rights laws. And he recently published a proposal in the University of Miami's Law Review for litigators to take a deregulatory approach to AI and HR, which is the topic of the discussion we had with him as part of today's podcast. Yeah, yeah. Full admission, I actually did download this paper. <laughs> and I think anyone in HR, seriously, HR or, or business or managers for that matter, could really benefit from listening to the podcast. We sort of did the cliff notes. <laughs> I mean, you're welcome to read all 87 pages because I did. But you can thank us later because we definitely broke it down into some bite-sized chunks for this podcast. I love how friendly he is, how he breaks it. You know, he's a lawyer, but he makes it so easy to understand. I think like the light went off for me when he said, look, these discrimination laws have existed forever. Companies have been complying with them forever, or they should be, you know, he's like free country, but everyone's been complying. And and it's not up to the government to tell you whether you use AI, you don't use AI, any technology or your process. At the end of the day, it's the results that matter. That's what actually uh, gets audited, you know? That was my big aha moment that he's focusing on the results based off of these laws that have been in existence for uh, a long period of time. And it really is more a matter of maybe the concern is coming from some of these processes with new technologies make the process more transparent and more visible. So now you have to be more accountable for it because it's not just within someone's head. Right. You can actually see how a decision gets formulated and gets made. And now you have to be accountable for that as the results to how your outcomes portray themselves and, you know, in your organization and in your world. So definitely appreciate his passion. And and as you said, his clarity made it very clear and easy to understand and also talked about, you know, you shouldn't get distracted with chasing shiny objects or the, the latest thing you hear. It really does focus on the outcome and how you got there. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, that's enough from us. Enjoy the interview with Commissioner Keith Sonderling from the EEOC.
Commissioner Sonderling, welcome to the show. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. No, absolutely. Jason, say hi. Hello. So excited to talk with Keith. We know you're a busy guy, so we're going to go ahead and jump right in for the next 30 minutes, dig into you know your thoughts for this deregulating approach to AI and HR, and you know hopefully help our listeners understand AI a little better and how it should be used for interviewing, hiring, upskilling, promoting, etc. Maybe first, let's orient the audience. So before we jump into your recently published opinion, tell us a little bit more about why the focus for AI and HR, particularly as part of your role as an EEOC commissioner. Yeah, and let's first take a step back. And, and what is the EEOC? There's so many federal agencies out there. They all have uh, different acronyms, but the EEOC is the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. And our mission is to prevent and remedy unlawful employment discrimination and also to advance equal opportunity for all in the workplace. So the laws you know, we enforce, uh, very relevant in this conversation, are not just for employees. It's for applicants as well, and it protects from discrimination against all the big ticket items. So race, color, religion, sex, sexual orientation, pregnancy, national origin, age, disability, and genetic information. And a lot of times people just think, oh, it's just hiring and firing. But our laws apply to every type of work situation, including the big ones, hiring and firing, but promotions, trainings, wages, benefits. It also prevents retaliation and harassment. So it's really all encompassing when you're talking about entering in the workplace and being in the workplace. So we have a lot to do. We have the Me Too movement, pay discrimination, everything related to COVID and accommodations, disability discrimination, pregnancy discrimination, you name it. So for me, though, since joining the EEOC, I've really made it my priority to address the use of artificial intelligence in the workplace, not just hiring, not just promoting, but just literally everywhere where technology is affecting the workforce and how it intersects with discrimination laws. And I've really been making a lot of noise about it for good reason. And the reason I'm talking about artificial intelligence and the reason you know the EEOC is looking at it and you're seeing a lot of different government agencies look at it everywhere, but specific to human resources, it's already been involved in the decision-making process for employees and their entire life cycle for years. And the technology has been out there and it's being used by large companies, by smaller companies on a mass scale, really with no guidance, with no best practices, with no general awareness of the potential legal ramifications if you're using the software for the wrong reason. So without any of those big litigations yet or those big, huge federal government investigations, which I'm trying to avoid <laughs> avoid by raising my awareness, you know, um, I, I don't want to see the best practices or the guidelines for employers or employers to get serious about compliance with this area made through litigation, made through federal enf uh, enforcement. I want this technology to flourish. I want it to take off. You know, for companies now to stay competitive in this marketplace, it's no longer a conversation, am, am I going to use HR technology? It's about how we are going to use that technology and for what purpose are we going to use that technology and how do we use that technology with the long-standing civil rights laws that we're all subject to. And really diving into this even further about AI in the workplace is because, you know, artificial intelligence, as we all know, companies are using it in every area of their business line. Mm -hmm. 
But when it comes to using it in HR, it's different than those other uses of, of AI because using AI in HR deals with some of the most fundamental civil rights we have. And it's the ability to enter in the workforce and thrive in the workforce free of discrimination. Now, Keith, you've talked about all the different areas where AI is being utilized and all the different areas that the EEOC covers in the employee life cycle. Are, are there specific areas that are drawing either the most attention or maybe creating the most confusion for how AI is coming into this conversation? You know, that's a great question. And from my perspective, we can't favor one use over the other. We can't really hone in in, in, in a specific use over the other because our laws apply to every single use of artificial intelligence. So whether it's AI that writes job descriptions, screens resumes, AI that chats with applicants or conducts the job interview themselves or some of the software out there that predicts salary or tracking productivity, it all matters to us because it all implicates the laws we enforce. Now, to your question, are there some specific areas that may you know be on our radar more? Well, really, and, and the EOC put out some guidance on this topic last May about workers with disabilities and how they're going to interact with the use of HR technology and artificial intelligence. And we put out some practices and guidelines about how the Americans with Disability Act applies to some of these software. And a lot of it too is, look, there's a lot of benefits we can talk about, about how um, workers with disabilities can really flourish in the workplace being assisted by AI technology, but at the same time, that technology cannot screen them out from employment. And if they aren't able to use those technologies, let's say if it's an interview program or employee assessment program, they're gonna have to do it with some sort of accommodation. So that is really important where we've been focusing on first. And we thought that was important because outside of retaliation, which is our number one claim of discrimination year over year of, at the EEOC, the second highest claim is disability discrimination. So bring, bringing awareness to the fact that um, workers with disability or applicants with disability are going to be impacted by technology, like they all are other areas, was really important for us to do first. Now, some of the tools that are on the market are actually trying to address those concerns and help overcome some of those discriminatory practices and increase opportunity for individuals, every individual, even people with disabilities specifically. How do you go about trying to build a framework for approaching AI and manage getting all the benefits while managing all the concerns. I know you've you've written about this in your recent report. What what's the kind of framework or the approach that you're recommending? Yeah, so for me and in this discussion about how do we regulate AI, how do companies comply with uh, laws related to AI, what the future of laws may be when it comes to AI, there's a lot of distraction out there. And what we're seeing, for instance, in New York City with their proposal about auditing AI, what we're seeing in Europe with the proposed Artificial Intelligence Act, what we've seen in some states like Illinois about facial recognitions or some proposals in California. Employers are really you know, being turned in all different directions about, well, AI laws are coming. How do we start complying now? And I've been trying to change that narrative saying, you know, there's laws on the books since the 1960s. And these laws apply equally to the technology being used by employers today through artificial intelligence and software that hasn't even been created yet through neural networks or any of those fancy new terms that are out there, equally as they do to employers making decisions 
with humans or making decisions about an employee with a pencil and a paper since the 1960s. The process is the same. The laws are out there. And, And if we get distracted talking about how the law should change related to artificial intelligence, new laws for artificial intelligence, new agencies for artificial intelligence, we're being distracted from the laws that exist right now that the EEOC enforces today that protect employees. I've been trying to get the conversation back saying, look, there's laws that the EEOC enforces, whether it's Title VII, the Americans with Disability Act, the AIDS Discrimination Act, pregnancy, you name it. And they're all like, we just went over, they're all applying to these different uses of AI. So companies have a duty now to comply with the law, as simple as it sounds, but, but a lot of that has been lost. So that's why I've been trying to talk, and especially in my new paper about the more deregulatory approach or, or self-regulatory approach for companies, because they are going to be the ones who are ultimately liable for any decisions, any kind of tool makes, whether it's a human HR supervisor making a discriminatory decision or whether it's an unchecked algorithm based upon a data set that's not complete or an algorithm that allows an individual to put their own bias in there and and scale it, the employer is liable for those decisions. So just like all other areas of the law, employers have a duty to comply with the law now, and they can be doing that right now. They don't need to wait for enforcement. They don't need to wait for large litigations. You know, they could be making sure that the tools they have now are compliant with longstanding civil rights laws themselves without the distraction of potential new laws or um, waiting for the government to come to tell them to do them themselves. And that's what I'm trying to raise awareness of because that's how employers can feel more comfortable using these programs because they're familiar with how to do audits of their company, do audits of their business. So let's just start doing that when it comes to using artificial intelligence without anyone pushing you or forcing you to. You mentioned the topic of doing audits, doing audits of your company, audits of your business. I think that's come up quite a bit, especially with some of the new, you know, as you mentioned, different locations that are coming up with regulations. For the folks that are listening, what are what are some of the things you're seeing or maybe advice or risks to that process around auditing, whether it's with a third party or doing a self-audit? Like, How does someone try to focus on the reality versus avoid the distractions? For now, for employers who are using artificial intelligence in the workplace, you know, what is the EEOC going to look at? When we show up in an investigation, what do we know best? Not computer scientists. We don't know what algorithms look like. What we do know is results. And we look at to see their results. And the results show discrimination, you know, that either a certain protected class was discriminated against, whether it was intentional or unintentional. Well, then we're going to backtrack on how we got there. And with artificial intelligence, it actually makes it more transparent than other areas. Because if you think about what are we dealt with now, we're dealt with somebody's bias. And where is that? It's in their brain. And how do we get in their brain? Pretty difficult, right? But AI can actually make that much more transparent because having a record of what that algorithm was looking for or the data set. And if the data set you know, only included, let's just say, men under 40, then, you know, we could say, well, the the problem was there opposed to uh, the algorithm that uh, potentially was only looking for those characteristics, which you're not allowed to make an employment decision on. So in a way, being able to audit your artificial intelligence is looking at the results of what it predicted and making sure that there is some still human intervention there. 
that you could see if there's a discrimination and say, how did we get there and how can we fix it before ever making a decision on someone's livelihood? But that, in essence, then requires transparency at the point of decision making, right? Because I'm going to say this in an awful way, but to avoid any sort of litigation or questioning of a decision. When we're talking about auditing, it's more than auditing. It's almost like transparency for the candidate or the employee on how the decision was made and providing insight, correct? Yeah, but providing it. Now I'm talking about internal, what companies can be doing themselves internally before even dealing with third parties, just just in, inside. And, you know, presumably the employer who is making that decision has created the job description, is looking for certain skills within the applicant pool they have or within, you know, the potential applicant pool they have through artificial intelligence. And if they're not getting the results or they're getting discriminatory results, there's a lot of different ways to then go back and see why is it, and that is information that's available. That is information that artificial intelligence can help with. Because if you look and say, oh, well, here's what we had in the job description, and the job description gave us these candidates, and the candidates happen to be all of one race, one national origin, um, one sex, whatever, you know, however we ever got there, whatever the potential problem was. Well, what did we have in that job description that potentially produced those results? Or job description was perfect, but the candidate pool of who we got was only those people with those certain characteristics? Or did you have the most diverse candidate pool, but then what happened when it went through the algorithm? Did somebody who maybe shouldn't have had access or somebody put their own bias in there then put filters that were discriminatory? There's so there's so many ways to potentially figure it out that employers can do themselves with due diligence before ever actually making a decision on someone's livelihood to be able to enter in the workforce or to get a promotion. So those tools exist now and employers are using them, but just just take the step internally without anyone essentially showing up at your door to demand that you do, telling you how or forcing you how, and then really wanting to look more uh, expansively. And that's the point I'm trying to make is that you know, instead of relying like we've seen in other areas where regulation comes after companies have done something wrong but they've made a lot of money doing that at the same point. You've seen that in the financial industry, in other industries. That's what I'm trying to avoid here. Because like I said earlier, companies, especially with the labor market now, wanna hire and a lot of larger companies need to hire a lot of people very quickly. And it's not possible for them to do it at this point without the assistance of some sort of technology. As I'm hearing you say this and explain it, let me know if I'm understanding this correctly, it's almost as if some of the benefits of using this advanced technologies are what are creating some of the concerns because the process actually has more visibility. And like you said, transparency, where you can actually track how some of the data weighed into this decision and it's not entirely in someone's head. That's absolutely true. I mean, that, that's really, that, that, that's something that a lot of people aren't talking about. You know, you see it all over the news or you know, in a lot mm -hmm. of this world, the, the positive benefits of AI. But then you're also hearing so much about the potential negatives about it. And for each of the positive, there could be a potential negative if employers aren't diligent with all this. But for, you know, from an HR and legal perspective, you know, now you have guardrails around this. Now you know who's using the systems. And now you can have certain restrictions in place in these systems like you do in other systems. Like in a bank, you know, 
not everyone has access to the, the keys to the vault, right? To get the money where the, the money is. And it could be the same thing when using these sort of technologies that corporations right now don't need enforcement to have their own internal handbooks, their own internal best practices, or identify certain individuals who have access to those. And those are individuals in decision-making positions where you trust and have been trained on bias laws and been trained on anti-discrimination that you also know won't use these tools for the wrong purposes. And that is all internal governance. Corporations are very familiar doing that in the labor and employment space. We have handbooks, we have HR departments, we have a lot of different ways for companies right now to make employment decisions, whether it's promotions, whether it's transfers, or even terminations or reporting discrimination, there's significant structures in place in companies. Everyone, you know, probably listening remembers when they first day at work and they had to sign those thick handbooks or now it's probably all <laughs> digital or say, or say you've, you've read them or watched training and yearly anti-harassment videos. Why are companies doing that? Because they have a system in place to prevent discrimination. And that's what we're, you know, I'm arguing for artificial intelligence here because it has a lot of great potentials. And at the same time, you know, it could potentially cause harm like anything else. So how do we mitigate that? And that's what companies need to be doing that. So how do we help people understand or the industry at large understand or think about whether the AI is going to be doing harm and contributing to discrimination versus helping? How we do that now by using these tools is, first of all, the very thoughtful and careful decision of what AI do I need for my company and what purpose am I going to use it for? Because there's so many different avenues to use AI, whether it's the creating a job description, conducting the interviews, facial recognition, which has been widely you know talked about and, and criticized in this space, or you know even using AI to manage employees, using AI to do performance reviews, or using AI to terminate an employee. I mean, there's a lot of different uses of it from as simple as a chatbot to get an HR form through performance reviews. So it's a hard question to, to answer broadly, but now you could see the for, for businesses who are going to use the software, all the different areas they're going to use it on. And that's why it's so hard to focus on one area because our laws apply to all of them, right? Right. And employers are looking for guidance on every single stage. And that's where I'm coming in and reminding everyone, okay, depending on the different use, different things are implicated, right? So if it's facial recognition, it could be potential disability discrimination. If you're looking to judge somebody on how often they smile and the person can't smile, or it could be racial discrimination. If the camera can't see somebody who's dark skin, like they could see light skin. So for each use, I can tell you potential benefits for using them, but at the same time, I can I can also show potential perils of using them if some of these things aren't thought about before using them. I loved how you said on your end of the process, you're remaining to be focused on the outcomes and guiding organizations to look at the outcomes and pay attention to the laws that already exist and how these new tools play into driving those outcomes against those laws. From the other side of the coin, are there any things that you see or any advice you have for organizations evaluating the inputs, the data that's used, how the technology works, or the process or policy that flows into these kind of practices? Well, from the inputs from a, uh, a recruiting perspective and a, and a talent sourcing perspective, it, again, it, it's very similar to everything else because the you know AI doesn't have any 
intentions of its own, right? It's just the function of the data that's fed to it. Mm-hmm. So you know, this is really something that gets out of the whole technology space in a way of you know what is going into it. And employers have been dealing with that for a long time since these laws were in place. And you know, where are we recruiting? Are we doing things to make sure that our data set, which was really before, you know, it was uh, technology was involved, our applicant pool, right? Right. Yeah. Is diverse and representative of the, the the area where we're recruiting from. And again, technology can now assist with that because technology can really look through, like I said before, some of those job descriptions and tell you what lines in there may no longer be necessary and have historically prevented people from certain backgrounds from entering in the workforce or having some um, descriptions or job advertisement in there that is discouraging, you know, especially there's a lot of studies on gender and on male and female willingness to apply. So AI can really help there, but a lot of it too on the, on the inputs is not that much different than, than not using technology. You know, it's, are we going to the right places? Do we have a diverse applicant pool so we can make a decision then based upon um, the skills and job requirements? So what advice would you give then for anyone, any HR practitioners who are evaluating technologies for AI technologies for any of these, you know, employee or workforce related processes? So you're basically telling them, show me the output, show me how you're going to enhance my process. Because the truth is the laws have existed forever. Whether or not you use AI, your existing processes or some technology in the future, you're gonna have to continue to comply and show that you comply. You know, from our perspective, we're not in the business, or at least I'm not in the business of telling employers what technology they should mm-hmm. use or should not use. If an employer wants to use a technology that discriminates, it's a, it's a free country and they can do that. But will there be consequences? Absolutely. Will you be breaking the law? Absolutely. Will the EEOC be involved? Absolutely. So from our from from my perspective, it's just making the awareness of the potential issues from our perspective of what we care about, which is ensuring there's no discrimination for each of those uses. And the, the, the simplest way, again, which is what you alluded to, is that whatever the algorithm is, whatever the program, whatever the decision, employers have to watch for two things. That's discriminatory uses and discriminatory outcomes. And that's no different than HR has been operating in a compliance perspective forever, right? So the discriminatory use is using AI to discriminate, using AI to scale one individual's bias to a degree larger than we've seen before. Because think about it, if you have a biased person in talent acquisition, a biased manager, a biased hiring professional, how long does it take that person to before AI to manually go through each resume and say, I don't want to hire this person because they're of this national origin, they're from this race, et cetera, right? But now using AI, you could scale that pretty quickly. So that would be an example of a, preventing a discriminatory use. And we talked about some of the, the preventions of that. Or, you know, a discriminatory outcome when you're using it with what you believe are neutral characteristics and it discriminates and you cannot show a business necessity for that, which is hard. So it's it's the uses and the outcome. But liability for employers is going to be stay the same, whether you intend to discriminate or not. Because you know, deciding to entrust an algorithm with people's livelihood, it's it is a complex topic and it's an, an important matter. So basically the, those two points require that human intervention requires to make sure that the ultimate decisions that are being made are actually based upon legal and proper characteristics 
within the job descriptions and with what the actual job requires. And then AI can assist greatly with that. And AI can tell us humans things we couldn't, you know, our brains weren't capable of imagining of what the actual best qualifications for the job and even what some of the best employees and be able to find um, individuals who normally wouldn't be selected for the job or even be considered for the job, but be able to find, you know, patterns in their resumes or patterns in their performance reviews that actually will help us get there. Now, Keith, you mentioned New York City, you mentioned state of Illinois, you mentioned some of the things that are happening in Europe. As a result of these things, there's a lot of different industry organizations and consortiums that are starting up and third-party auditing firms and organizations and HR practitioners are trying to look to a variety of places to, to learn and research and get a lot of information on this topic. Do you have any advice or suggestions on great sources of, of research or resources people can seek out to maybe learn rather than trying to react to everything they're seeing? Yeah, well, obviously at the federal government, we don't endorse uh, anyone. <laughs> we just say comply with the law. But obviously, you know, part of where I think this should go with the self-regulation and, you know, l less regulation here and just sticking with uh, the laws that have worked for a long time. Companies have really been auditing other areas of their employment practices for a very long time. And my plea there is just to include artificial intelligence in there because it's 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 the same sort of decisions and the same sort of practices that you were doing before now just with computers. So that just needs to become a part of the regular routine. And however that is done, whether it's internal, whether it's through third parties, whether it's just looking at the EEOC's guidance, you know, we have really a host of guidance, not just specific, we have some specific to artificial intelligence when it comes to the Americans with Disability Act, but all of, you know, recruiting policies, promotion policies, pay policies. We have endless resources on our website with promising practices that tell you how to get it right and what we were looking for. And if an EEOC investigator shows up and questioning your practices, and if you can show, you know, we really tried, we looked at what the EEOC told us to do here, you know, that has been existing. And like I said, AI is just doing things that HR professionals were doing before. It's making those decisions that have been being made for a very long time. So we have guidance on each of those. They may, they may not specifically say artificial intelligence like we have with the uh, disability, but it's equally applicable to those. So use us as a resource at the EEOC and even some of the more complicating testing analysis of how to actually perform an audit. You know, we have guidelines from 1978 on our website with frequently asked questions on, on how to do those traditional employment assessment audits as well. So it's all there. It's a free resource for employers and for employees to know what their rights are as well. So use us as a resource because we're free. <laughs> I have to ask, how did you become so knowledgeable in AI? And I can definitely sense a passion in your voice. A lot of reading. Now, if, if you showed me, asked me to design AI, I wouldn't <laughs> know Write how. Write an not, algorithm. I'm yeah, not yeah. that smart, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I uh, know. I just, you know, the, I, I really, I felt as part of my job to prevent discrimination, to provide e equal employment for uh, all workers in, in the United States. You know, what are the issues facing them? And, you know, the, the fact is that most workers now or in the future are going to deal with this technology in the workplace. And, you know, I think that's very incumbent on me to be up to speed on that, to learn that. So I, I, I've, I've studied a lot. I've read a lot about it. 
I, I maybe I'm being subjected to artificial intelligence myself in this interview. Who knows? But um, no, it just it's it's so important. It's so critical because, like I said on the outset, I do personally, you know, as a as a labor and employment lawyer, as an EEOC commissioner, anything that can help us reduce bias and provide that equal employment opportunity for workers is a good thing, and we should be behind. Because if, if if bias is eliminated one day, then I'm out of business here, and nobody's being discriminated, which is a which good. Which is thing. your ultimate goal, yeah. Right, but yeah, in all seriousness, you know, anything that can help us with our mission, and using artificial intelligence properly, programs that are carefully designed, programs that are properly used, can only help our mission here at the EEOC. So that's why I'm talking a lot about it because it's out there and ensuring that it's used properly in accordance with our longstanding civil rights laws. Because, you know, as AI becomes mainstream technology in the workplace, discrimination by algorithm can't. So that's sort of where my mindset is, why it was so important for me to get involved in this. We appreciate your work and the way you're thinking about it. And it was wonderful to kind of hear your thoughts. I know we also want to go through a couple other of the standing questions that we have on our podcast. So uh, I'll hand it over to Lahia. We're, we're kind of thinking of some some questions we want to ask to maybe get, get to know you a little bit better. This has been absolutely enlightening, but I'm curious if you had never gone into law, and I, I'm wondering if now you're going to say data scientist, <laughs> what other kind of work would you have pursued? What other passions did you have? And if somebody had believed in your potential, you know, as a younger Keith Sonderling, where would you be today? I would have stuck with what my major was in college, which was TV and radio. <laughs> so I would have, uh, my... I don't want to say it's it's my dream job, but certainly I would like to, if I wasn't doing this, I would like to do a 4 a.m. morning show uh, on TV for local news. You know, waking everyone up in the morning. Morning drives. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> As a morning person, that is something that actually I, I would like to do. Motivates you. Yeah. yeah. Well, you're welcome to come back on the podcast. You're quite good at this. How did you start out in this career? Where did you start in law? I started as a uh, summer associate at a uh, law firm in Florida. It's a full service uh, law firm. I tried all the different areas and uh, labor and employment stuck, mainly because the labor and employment partners there who are still uh, my mentors, I got along with them really well. And I was really saw the passion in their work they were doing and I wanted to be a part of that team. So that's, that's how I got into labor and employment law. Awesome. Best career advice you've ever had? There's only one career advice, which is just to work very hard. <laughs> I give that advice. Excellent. Well, Keith, thank you so much. This has been enlightening. Thanks for listening to The New Talent Code. This is a podcast produced by Eightfold AI. If you'd like to learn more about us, please visit us at eightfold.ai. And you can find us on all your favorite social media sites. We'd love to connect and continue the conversation. 